0: Hey guys, it's Lely Cheek. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Ample Cause, Our Justification. And we're in our Bible study series, um, our study of John, that we are doing through Bible Study Fellowship International. And uh, we are in Lesson 18. And just a heads up for those that aren't used to the way I do it on my, my own. Um, I kind of just uh, not maybe conventionally answer the questions straightforward with... Um, the answers from from the immediate text but uh kind of uh link other uh scriptures that god has been given me uh throughout the bible and uh that kind of um not only adds uh more context to uh the question but or the answer i guess but um also uh, kind of speaks to our our times and some of the things that we are going through uh together so um with that um our first question is uh, john 13 we are uh, finishing um, Jesus' foot washing series. And um, we have Peter with me um, his uh, denial predicted. And I'll go ahead and read those verses just so we are on the same page. It's uh, John 13, 31 through 35 here. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Children, I am with you a while longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews where I am going, you cannot come. So now I tell you. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. And if you love, if you have love for one another. Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where, are you, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? I assure you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Well, uh, why don't you join me in prayer? Father God, thank you so much for this uh, lesson. Thank you so much for your scripture and for the Holy Spirit, who is the ultimate teacher to guide us, um, to direct us, um, to um, teach us your ways. Thank you for giving us a hope. Thank you for um, leading us uh, to you ultimately, for being our, our comfort, for being um, our reason, and, um, you know, before you, Lord, we were people with, without hope in the world, and, and um, you know, we were uh, going through this life with, um, with, with, with nothing uh, but what we had here, and so uh, thank you for showing us the way, the truth, uh, for giving us true life, and for making us a, a people prepared and, and a hopeful people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, guys. Um, so, our first question talks about identify the four statements in verse 31 to 32 about how the Father and the Son will be glorified. And, you know, ultimately, he talks about how um, he is glorified uh, God in him. Uh, God is glorified in him, and God will also glorify him in himself. And will glorify him at once. And so, um, uh, how how is God's glory revealed when His character is displayed? And explain what Jesus meant when He said that He would be glorified. And so, God kind of took me to um, well, the suffering servant, and uh, so in Acts when. We had the Ethiopian official um, was wondering what the, what the scripture means. And he, he was reading it, and he was reading it, and he, he couldn't understand it. And the Holy Spirit had told uh, Philip to, uh, or the angel of the Lord had spoke to Philip and told him to go, go run aside this guy's chariot and, and see if he needs help understanding this. Let's read. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up. And go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian man, an eunuch, and a high official of Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. So he was a very important man. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit, of, the spirit told Philip, Go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? He said, How can I? Unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before a shearer, so he doesn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? Himself or another person? So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning from that scripture. Um, And as he was traveling down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? Uh, And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then he ordered the chariot to stop. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. And he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch Didn't see him any longer, but he went on his way rejoicing. And Philip Philip appeared in the Zotas and was traveling there and evangelizing all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Zotos is a Gentile town. And so, um, you know, this uh, high official, he was royalty, coming in his chariot, uh, trying to worship from from this, um, from this, uh, the queen of the Ethiopians. And he was reading the scripture, uh, this passage, In Isaiah uh, 53, that you know, most often is you know overlooked in a lot of places, especially you know, the Jewish uh, context doesn't often uh, read, don't they skip over that verse? And so he was reading this and he didn't understand is it talking about Isaiah or is it talking about Christ? And he didn't know who uh, scripture was about, and so the Spirit uh, led Philip to go explain it to him. And so that's just a great, um, example of how, you know, even though we might be enlightened, even though we might have, um, you know, um, the Holy Spirit, we still might need someone to, uh, explain things to us and we still might need, um, someone to, uh, explain scripture to us. We might, you know, we don't just know everything. And so, um... He was reading this, and then, uh, you know, this passage of Jesus, the suffering ser- servant, led like a lamb, silent before his shearers, um, Essentially, Philip was invited to come sit with him. And so he uh, went and sat with him in his chariot. And what the passage was, was, you know, the suffering servant in his humiliation uh, was denied justice, and uh, his life was taken from the earth. And so this eunuch then was like, oh, this is Jesus you're talking about. He's like, well, if this is the good news, you know, what what would stop me from being baptized? And so he's like, there's some water. Look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. But I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then he ordered that chariot to stop. And both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water. And he baptized them. And when they came up of the water, of the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him any longer. Philip then, uh, miraculously went off and started, uh, pre- preaching in this gentile town on Sotos And evangelizing everyone that came there to him. So that's just, um, a great example of, you know, God's glory, um, being manifested there. And, um, Christ being, uh, glorified. Um, again, if we go to, uh, let's see, Mark. Which I think I'm putting in this Bible here. Um, so Christ is glorified in that. Let's see, Mark 8. Um, also gives us uh, another uh, glimpse of uh, what it means for Christ to be glorified. And we have this account of uh, Jesus honoring uh, Sarah Phoenician uh, 1. Hi guys, it's Lily Cheek. for joining me. Sarah Phoenician's faith, I guess it is. And i um, me just put the title of this in here. Sorry, I'm recording this on my uh, podcast and trying to get a video capture too because takes a long time to edit my podcast sometimes, so you say a lot of, uh, uh, and then they sound really uh, flagrant when I go back and hear it, and when you actually watch the video, it's not as pronounced, I guess. Okay, so let's see if we can, there we go. Okay, so, um, The Syrophoenician one's faith, which once again is a non-Jewish, a Gentile person, and so Jesus left the place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. He could not keep his presence a secret, though. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman, whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit, came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian. Born in Syrian Phoenicia, she begged Jesus to dry the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. So she went home and found her daughter lying in the bed, on the bed that the demon was gone. So, us uh, glorifies Christ too because we see, um, you know, this, uh, woman came to Jesus and, you know, she's like, Lord, please help me. My daughter is literally, um, uh, possessed engulfed by, by this, uh, spirit, by this demon. And, um, you know, uh, what does Jesus tell her? Uh, you know, my mission is to the Jews, I came to the Jews first, and, um, that's what he says when he says, first, let the little children eat all they want. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs, and, um, you know, that's what he was saying there, that essentially, you know, um, my mission is to the Jew first, you know, I got to Make sure I, I came to that first. And then what does the Gentile lady reply? She's like, Lord, even the dogs on the table are in the children's crumbs. And I'm like, wow, for such a reply, go, and the demon has left. And what does that mean? Well, essentially, uh, Jesus stopping amongst his mission to the Jews to uh, heal a Gentile isn't going to you know derail his mission to the Jews it's not going to thwart his plan. It's not going to, you know, thwart the mission to the Jews. It's not going to stop the resurrection. It's not going to stop the crucifixion. Uh, Jesus, you know, uh, letting uh, a Gentile eat from the crumbs, uh, you know, isn't going to thwart his plan for the Jews. His, his mission will stand. And he's like, wow, you know what? Your faith is great. That, that demon's gone. You know, and he uh, healed the Gentile, the Seraphim, ones, woman's uh, demon set up. So, we see that, you know, even the dogs are eating these children's crumbs. (laughs) And, um, uh, you know, for such answer, uh, she was uh, granted her uh, petition. So, that's another example of Jesus being uh, glorified with that. Well, how does Jesus' glory differ from the world's definition of glory? Well, we know... um, the world likes to make treaties nations like to make treaties i think we're we're um, you know powerful we have a lot of might we're strong we're fortified we got you know nations behind us maybe or even uh you know friendship uh, uh, bonds and alliances with uh different um peoples and we value treaties a lot but sometimes we you know overlook the treaty of god and our covenant with god and we overlook uh our pact with god and we overlook um ultimately um, God's glory in our treaty w- with him, in our covenant with him. And we kind of uh, maybe value the covenant of man more than the covenant of God. And so um, another example we have is, you know, in Jonah, where um, Jonah was told to go go to these um, pagan people, these non, non um Jewish people, these people that didn't know, you know, Yahweh, the one true God at the time, and and go tell them this message. And he did not want to go there because these people were considered, you know, ruthless. Uh, they're very uh, cruel. They're enemies, and so he did not want God to save them, and he did not want to take God's message to them. And so he ran the other way, and he was running from God because he didn't think these people should be saved. He didn't think they should be able to repent, and he did not want God to save him at all. He was very prejudiced um, about the Ninevites, which are the Assyrians, uh, being saved. And so um, um, our question, once again, is uh, how does Jesus' glory differ from the world's definition? Well, there's an account uh, where John was running from God, and he uh, hops on the ship, and let's see what happens. Um Then the Lord hurled a violent wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each called out to their God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel, and had stretched out and fallen into deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing, son of sleep? Get up! Call to your God! Maybe this god will consider us, and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots. Then we'll know who's blame for this trouble that we're in. So we just see how, um, you know, the sailors all were calling out this ship that Jonah uh, ran to and jumped on board. Um, started to sink and, and was in the midst of a violent storm. And all those sailors, these were all Gentile sailors, we're calling out to their own gods, you know, each one trying to pray for maybe God will, maybe our God will consider us and help us not to perish, right? And so, um, the world's definition of glory is, Hey, God, look at me, God, take note of me and help me not to perish, God, take note of me and let me, uh, not, not die, right? And, um, essentially, um, you know, that's opposite of what we see in Jesus's you know, uh, suffering servant example and, um, Jesus' glory and the glory that, uh, Christ had, it wasn't like, God, look at me and don't let me perish. You know, he laid down his life and, you know, was glorified and glorified God with it. And so, you know, man's example is, you know, um, God look at me and, and you know, don't let me, me perish versus, versus Christ's example of, you know, um, glorifying God with his life and laying down his life. And so, um, ultimately then Jonah <laughs> ended up preaching, uh, about his God to this boat of Gentiles, uh, that he didn't even mean to, uh, come across it and to even, um, encounter. But essentially, um, he answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were even more afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? 'Cause the men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you? What should we do to you to calm this sea that's against us? So the sea was getting worse and worse. And he answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, so it may quiet down for you, for I know that I am to blame for this violence storm. So they asked him and you know, he told them about his about Yahweh, the of God, and essentially you know, preached to even these uh, gentiles in that boat there, and they knew um, that his crowd uh, was punishing him for that. So, um, our next question is: Why do you think Jesus called his disciples my children, and how might we? How might his words have impacted them? Well, we know um, the true meaning uh, behind. Jesus called them uh, his children and just this uh, endearment and um, you know, how um uh his uh unconditional love essentially, you know um there's a the contrast here in this um parable or I guess this, uh, passage of uh second Kings and um you know, worship of of, uh, false gods and this Baal worship that they were doing. And essentially, um, you know, oftentimes in our suffering, um, we often take on this uh, contrasting view of, you know, that our suffering is um, maybe a humanic response to it. Um, Maybe we uh, like to embark on religious traditions uh, to... Um, figure out why we are suffering but ultimately you know the true suffering in Christ uh, has purpose and has meaning and we know he is sovereign over all events and all things of our lives and ultimately um, not only do we see God's sovereignty in it but we see his purposes in it and his uh, plans in it and you know if we look at even um, the book of Lamentations um, where you know we know um, in Lamentations where there's, a, what, what is it? It's lamenting, right? And, and Jeremiah wrote Lamentation and it's his lament over Jerusalem. So uh, it's a great uh, book that gives us not only uh, a picture of God's sovereignty over suffering, but then it also guides us and gives us purpose and direction and teaches us how to deal with suffering too, because it's like, okay, what's your focal point uh, what was what's the correct uh, response to the suffering with our orientation and, and how do we um, keep our focus on, on prayer and, and on God in our suffering and that's kind of what uh, Jeremiah uh, was, was doing in limitations. so ultimately you know um, our suffering in, in Christ isn't in vain, it's always purposeful and we know that we always have a, a direction and a focus and hopefully you know our focus uh, is on God and, and um, his purposes, and then um, even if we can't like look at job, if we can't see God's purpose in it, we know uh, his character and his character is good and for us. And so we focus on him ultimately and his sovereignty. And so um, yes, religion and tradition might um, sway our humanistic views sometimes of why we are suffering and why there is suffering in the world and you know sometimes it might react um, instinctively, uh, through the stages of, of grief or, you know, in stages of suffering. But, you know, the Christian, we, uh, are told, no, no, our suffering has purpose. There's no suffering without, uh, purpose. And we not only direct it to God's sovereignty, but we know, um, that he has good plans, uh, for us. And, and that ultimately he gives us, um, a good focal point and a good focus in our suffering and our grief. And it turns us to him. And so, you know, this, um, uh, command of Jesus, uh, telling his disciples, um, calling his disciples my children, and, uh, how it has impacted, uh, them, is, uh, contrasted with this verse, passage in Second Kings, of this worship of this, uh, battle that was going on, in you know, it's the, the typical bell worship. Um, but I will go ahead and read it. Then Jehu brought all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu will serve him a lot. Now therefore, summon to me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants and all his priests. None must be missing, for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. Whoever is missing will not live. However, Jehu was acting deceptively in order to destroy the servants of Baal. Jehu commanded, Consecrate a solemn assembly for Baal. So they called one. Then Jehu sent messengers throughout all Israel, and all the servants of Baal came there. There was not a man left who did not come. They entered the temple of Baal, and it was filled from one end to the other. Then he said to the custodians of the wardrobe, this is kind of like a robe, like an ornate uh, robe the priest would wear, uh, bring out the garments for all the servants of Baal. So he brought out the garments. Um, I think the under the their, their, their robes. Then Jehu and Jehonadab sent a great cab entered the temple of Baal. And Jehu said to the servants of Baal, Look carefully to see that there are no servants of the Lord here among you, only servants of Baal. And then they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings into the the Holy, holy spirit so jehu has stationed 80 men outside and he warned them whoever allows any of the men i'm delivering into your hands to escape will forfeit his life for theirs so when he finished offering the burnt offerings jehu said to the guards and the officers go in and kill him don't let anyone out so he struck them down with the sword then the guards and the officers threw their bodies out and went in the inner room of the temple of Baal. The inner room. They brought out the pillars of the temple and Baal, burnt them, tore down the pillars of Baal, tore down all the temples of Baal, made in its lat- latrin, made it into a latrin, uh, which it is to this day. So um, not only did they uh, burn this whole place down, this inner room, but we know that... Um, it had probably like wooden posts in there that they burnt down, and also um, there might have been some—I um, don't know if it was like a concrete uh, structures, stone stone pillars maybe—which um, they couldn't burn, so those remain. But you know, besides that, all you know the wooden uh, structures and all the architecture that they had put up in there um, to try and get to stand um, was burnt. And, um, you know, some of the Holy of Holies and the private uh, dwelling place of, of this deity. And they made, uh, you know, um, sacred, uh, ornaments over it. And finally it just became, you know, like, like an outhouse and just, a, a, a latrine, <laughs> a, a dive, a dumpster dive. And so, um, you know, Jehu killed all these priests of Baal and polluted this holy site of theirs, and the corpse of all these priests, and essentially, you know, um, burning it, every, everything, even even bone, even down to the bones. So, um, you know, this was kind of like, um, his hypocritical, uh, motion that he, uh, took and, you know, even giving these guys these, uh, holy garments and these holy robes, uh, to wear, um, ordained, ordaining them <laughs> in this. And so we just see the difference between, you know, this, uh, my children, uh, talk of Christ and then, you know, this false worship and this, um, worship of, uh, Jehu and his whole house and his whole family and, um, the difference between, uh, real, real worship and false worship. And so, um, what is the new, uh, what is new about the command Jesus gave his disciples and why is this important for believers to understand. Um, well, you know, this is where uh, he tells us I give like, this new command to to love each other um, as I have loved you. And going back to this, uh, to love your neighbor as yourself now and um, to love as as I have loved you. And so even, um, uh, contrasting that, we go to Jeremiah. Let's see, 52... Where he tells, tells us well, it's with the very very you know bookends of Jeremiah and it was the final um, death uh, of uh, King Hezekiah or Zedekiah and you know the ultimate fall um, of Jerusalem and um, you know why is it important for believers to understand this? Um, notion of loving your neighbor like, like, like yourself or loving how God loved, loved you. And, you know, um, Jeremiah 52 says, that Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. He reigned for 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamatel, the daughter of Jeremiah. She was from Libna. Zedekiah did what was evil in the Lord's sight just as Jehoiakim had done. Because of the Lord's anger, it came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he finally banished them from his presence. Nevertheless, Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. In the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon advanced against Jerusalem with his entire army. They laid siege to the city and built siege walls all around it, and the city was under siege until King Zedekiah's 11th year. So, you know, we just see that, you know, it just came to this point where God had to turn his back on them and turn his back on Jerusalem because their sin got so steep and so deep and so severe that, you know, God's like, I'll turn my back on you. And that's why he's like, hey, you know, love love your neighbor uh, like yourself. And, and, you know, they, they couldn't follow God. And they rebelled. And so ultimately, God's like, you know what? I can no longer uh, ignore your sin. I can no longer turn my back on, on your sin. I can no longer look the other way on what you are doing, how you are treating people. And essentially, you know, um, there was a fall, uh, the fall of Jerusalem and it got castigation, and, and um, you know, um, turn the back on, on, on these nations, uh, on, on this nation's sin. And the siege of Jerusalem, and it fell. And at the same time, it's like, okay, well, you can either love how God loves, or you know, at some point, he he's not gonna keep putting up with with your sin. He doesn't wink at sin. He doesn't just look the other way at sin. You know, and ultimately, he too um, has to come to this point where he can no longer um, just ignore this nation's great, great sin. And it was, uh, you know, their downfall. So ultimately, you know, um to says contrast between love your neighbor as I have loved you and, and Jerusalem, you you know, failed to do that and okay, I failed to do that and so fast. So, ultimately, um, in what situation or relationships would you ask Jesus to help you put His command into practice? And um, you, Joel kind of talked about it, the the year of the locust, when the locust ate. You know, um, another one came and ate. And um, here, this you elders, listen, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell your children about it and let your children tell their children and their children the next generation. What the devouring locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust has left, the young locust has eaten. What the young locust has left, the destroying locust has eaten. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Well, all you wine drinkers, because of the sweet wine, for it has been taken from your mouth, for a nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. Its teeth are the teeth of a lion, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has devastated my grapevine, splintered my fig tree, stripped off the bark, and thrown it away. Its branches have turned white, grieved like a young woman dressed in sackcloth, mourning for the husband of her youth. Grain and drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests who are ministers of the Lord mourn and their fields are destroyed. The land grieves; Indeed, grain is destroyed. And wine dried up. Oil fails. So we just see how, um, you know, this generational uh, plague and essentially, um, you know, this uh, plague of this locust had come on this land, it was so severe that it had a, a warning, uh, to, to future generation and future events, and this, um, you know, um, total destruction, this totality of destruction that was coming from these locusts. and so he, you know, addressed this, this, uh, third group in the drunkards, and he said, um, that, you know, their stupor, um, made awake wake from their stupor, and realize that uh, they're going to be without wine and they will be sobered up and they will face devastation. And um, the figs and the grapevines and all your uh, principal crops of your land were going to be damaged uh, during the plagues and during these wars. And uh, your food supply and your whole economy will be gone. So, um, you know, was what, his proper response to this tragedy? Was his proper response to this cast- catastrophe? Um, essentially, um, you know, uh, to grieve, to mourn, to put on a sackcloth, um, to, um, you know, lament, <laughs> and lament of what, what is happening because, uh, it's the grievous. And so, um, that is what in what situation in in what situation in the relationship will you ask you to help you put this command into practice. And so that's a a great um, yeah. You know, we're talking about my children I no longer be with you. Uh, where but you cannot come right. And so that's a good example of hey we should uh, be in this time of, of grieving and mourning, and this will have uh, such a devastation that it will affect future generations the plague that is here, and the plague that the than and the priests and the elders and everyone um, had participated in. So, um, what was the proper response? <laughs> well, um, you should be, uh, mourning and bitter lament, and put on sackcloth, and, and and cry, right? <laughs> it's, not, it's not a time to party, it's not a time to continue drinking, it's not a time to, uh, be, um, you know, um, um, parting it up. say. <laughs> so. and then um, you know, if we go to Mark eight, he tells us. Um, oh, we go I'm right, uh, sorry, X three. Um, once again, we see this call to. Um, about generational generational call Um, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people you must listen to everything he tells you anyone who doesn't listen to him will be completely cut off from their people Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant of God made with your, that God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all people on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you. To bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. He sent to the Gentiles first. He sent them first to you that each one of you turn to your wicked ways. So, this was um, why (laughs) Um, he was sent to them. And and this is why Abraham's offspring, through Abraham's offspring, now offspring's offspring, one, right? Me and Christ. Uh, all people on earth will be blessed. And when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each one of you from your wicked ways. So we just see this consistency. Consistency here. Um with um to the Jew first, my mission was to Jews, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentiles. So um What questions did Peter ask Jesus? And what claim did Peter make? Why might he have reacted this way? That's where Peter was uh, denying um, or betraying Christ. And, you know, um, in our first example of, you know, Christ being glorified, uh, I'll glorify the Father, the Father's glorified, God's glorified in him. Um, We see um, not only pieces of God's character in this glorification, but you know, it also has these um, connotations of Daniel, uh, Daniel 7, and um, they would have been very familiar with this verse and very familiar. This is um, where Christ uh, is promised to return with glory, and so many people are very familiar with this um, passage from Daniel 7 and um, Christ's ultimate uh, glory and his uh, return. And so here, Um, We also see um, what questions did Peter have uh, about about this? Um, What claims did Peter make? He's like, I'll I'll lay down my life for you, Lord. Uh, You know, I'll I'll lay down my life for you. And uh, Christ's like, "Uh, wait a minute, Peter, you're going to completely deny me. You're you're saying you're going to lay your life down for me? And so, um, in Mark 13... Um, The coming of the Son of Man. We have this picture, this glimpse of Jesus' uh, coming. And this is the days after the tribulation. And for those that are uh, alive during that time. And he says, But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not shed its light, the stars will be falling from the sky, and the celestial powers will be shaken then they will see the son of man coming in the clouds this you know remission of uh, this daniel seven this uh return once again this glorification right and coming in the clouds is god's presence with them and you know, the this kind of glory that led them out of the wilderness with great power and glory and he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the end of the earth to the end of the sky and so we um see this uh, glory um, once again revealed in Christ's uh, second coming and um, why might he have reacted this way and um, why um, uh, why might have Peter made this claim Uh, well not only because it was such a magnificent um, astounding uh, claim that Jesus was making uh, where I'm going you cannot come you can't come with me now but you can later but also um, you know this this glorification this power of of Christ coming not not as me Jesus laying down his life but he'll come back again as all power for God and and judge uh, the wrongs So we see not, you know, the, the, he's not going to be coming back, uh, meek Jesus right now a donkey, uh, laying down his life, but he will come back with power and, and glory. And, you know, this contrast of, um, uh, his second coming and how it will be, um, to judge and not necessarily to lay down his life. And so, you know, trying to tell us to, to Peter in a sense, um, is what he was trying to do. And so, um, why did peter react this way let's get back to our verse we are on 36 through 38 don't reread it just in case we forget lord peter asked or lord son peter said to him where are you going jesus answered where i'm going you cannot follow me now but you will follow me later lord peter asked why can't i follow you now i lay down my life for you jesus replied will you lay down your life for me I assure you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. So we just see this; uh, he'll come back with, with power and glory, and no longer meek um, and humble. And then, um, you know, that kind of ties back to her, uh, glorify. I glorified you, Lord, and Christ being glorified. Um, God, God is glorified, and then God and Him and um, Himself being glorified. And so then, ultimately, we say, okay. Well, why did he react this way? And you know, the transfiguration, we have this bulldog reaction of Peter, was like, Oh, let me just put some tabernacles here. We're not sure what to do. Well, um, Mark 13, 2 tells us, oh, we're done, Mark 13. Um, Mark 4 gives us this other glimpse, too. And you know, he tells Jesus speaks in parables, right? And why do he speak in parables? Well, for one. Um, as seek not well. You know, not only um, you know, for the Holy Spirit, but you know, we're supposed to seek these things. He didn't just want to give his kingdom truths to anyone to trample on and to mock them and to scoff at them and to trample them. But if you truly are seeking these and want to know and want to understand and want to uh, know these kingdom truths, you know, like the disciples, they they followed him into the inner room and they followed him you know, uh, after his public teaching, they asked him, well, what, what do you mean by that? Well, what does that mean? Please explain this to us. You know, they truly wanted to know. He's keeping the truth while well, many people, you know, after they got their free meal, just walked away. And so, you know, not only does this save maybe those that don't truly want to know from judgment, because once you know the truth, you, you will be judged on that, right? But also, um, it protects them from that. But then also, you know, Jesus um, wants you to really uh, seek, search for these things with the earnest heart, and he will reveal them to you. So then, um, going back to Peter, we have this parable of the sower. And uh, again, he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down, and while the whole crowd was on the shore facing the sea, he taught them many things and parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, Consider the sower who went out to sow. He sowed, as he sowed, does occur, so he's literally, you know, maybe not sowing, but sowing seed. Uh, Some seed fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up right away since it didn't have deep soil. When the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it didn't have a root, it withered. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. It didn't produce a crop. Still others fell on good ground and produced a crop that increased thirty, sixty, and a hundred times what was sown. Then he said, anyone who has ears should listen. Wait, this is a great question too. Uh, what's written, written written now it's like uh who has ears? listen, hear, listen, and so not only um are we told to just hear but also you know to put it to practice right, because ultimately you know um we can do we can comprehend and we can understand oh that's what he meant by the parables, okay, I understand, but ultimately you demands obedience, right. And, okay, you heard this parable, Jesus speaking in parables, and the, the, the ground is your heart. You got good ground, bad ground. If you know you, the path that uh, fell on the ground that the birds came and ate it up, essentially, you know, it it was, seeds just, so just scattered there, and, and uh, the devil comes in and takes it right away, right? It didn't get into the soil, it didn't get any roots, it didn't sink down deep enough. The devil comes and snatches it up, right? Yeah have yeah, the other type of soil, the other type of heart where, um, you know, with rocky, it sprang up right away, and that may you mean you have some evidence some of faith, you might believe a little bit, but, uh, ultimately, uh, the sun will, will come and, and scourge it real fast, and it didn't, you know, um, well, it didn't get down in the soil once again, it didn't have that good ground, it got burnt, and, you know, was you know, like, um, trials, tribulation, persecution comes along, and you're like, forget this, I'm not following you, this is costly, this is painful, I'm dipping out, right, and you didn't have that deep root in the good soil, and deeply embedded in you, and when times get hard, you were just like, I give up on this, I'm not doing this anymore, and you weren't, surely um, in, in, in the faith, because uh, you, you know, had some evidence of the faith, but it wasn't And so, um, ultimately then, you know, the seed fell on on thorns, and these, uh, worries in life, these riches of life, the things of the world choked, choked it, right, and it didn't produce a crop, and then once again, we have this good ground that, you know, the seed produced 30, 60, 100 exponential returns, right, of what was sound, and so we just see, um, how, um, the protectiveness of the good, you know, the good soil, the good heart, and the good, um heart ready, prepared to receive the word and plant it deep and, you know, grow exponential returns from it. And so ultimately, um, we know that um you can have understanding and you can know what this means and, and maybe, you know, you heard the parables and you listened and and, and you comprehended headed uh, with insight. But what does he demand? He demands an exponential return. You need you need obedience. So, you know, listening is one thing, and hearing is one thing, and insight is good. But are you obedient? Did Did you have 30, 60, 100 times what was sound, right? Or did the, you know, the worries of the world chuck it up? Did the sun scorch it? Did the devil come snatch it away? Did, did you fall during uh, persecution and, and tribulation? Right? And Tribulation. Tri- tribulation, yeah. And so it's like... Um, well, we demand obedience, not, not, just, not just careful listening and insight, right? And so, yes, he did speak in parables and, and good purposes for it, but ultimately, you know, um, obedience is demanded as well. So, um, not just uh, comprehension. So, when Jesus replied to Peter, what promise did he give him and what warning did he present? Um, yes, yeah, so that was for that question, and then um we also had um where am I here this John? Oh, and, and uh, I was uh taken to to Romans one, where you know uh let's see. So, um, when Peter, when Jesus replied to Peter, what promise did he give and warning did he give Peter? So this was, you know, uh, about his denial and his, um, betrayal, um, betrayal or his, um, denial. And ultimately, you know, Romans tells us that, you know, Paul wanted to go to, to Rome so bad, his whole ministry. He wanted to go to Rome so bad and, um, you know, had to be obedient to the spirit and obedient to to God's lead on when he should go and to what people he should go to and what group, uh, what, what area he should go. And, um, ultimately, you know, um, his, uh, prayer was always to go to the, to go to the, the, to go to Rome and evangelize them there. And, uh, finally he got to go. And when he got to go to these, uh, the Roman Christians, um, he, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. For God, whom I serve with my spirit. So we're just talking about Paul wanting to go to Rome his whole um, evangelical (laughs) career. And essentially, you know, he had to be obedient to um, the spirit. And um, as we were reading, uh, For God whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his son is my witness that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will I may now at least at last succeed in coming to you, for I want very much to see you so I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now, in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I just as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm obligated both to the Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the good news to you also who are in Rome. That's actually um, the verse I used to tell my book that I have out um, based on my uh, experiences. And essentially, you know, Paul was um, certain that when he got to Rome that he, you know, this um, exchange of spiritual gifts, that not only would he encourage their faith, but they would encourage his faith. And that he was certain that, you know, um, the house churches uh, of Rome would be uh, encouraged and um, be lifted up uh, with his spiritual gifts. And um, that he too would, would rely on, on the Roman Christians uh, ministry to, to him. And that he would be um, encouraged by, by their faith as well. And so, um, you know, he often planned to go there, but God prevented him and he wasn't allowed um, to go. But uh, finally, his plan, his, got the uh, providence uh, for him to go to Rome played out, and he was able to go there, and he went right away, and um, obviously he was, um, you know, uh, um, obligated to, to both Greeks, to barbarians, that um, no, was non-Greeks, is what that kind of says, and both to the wise and to the foolish, and he was eager to preach the good news to those who were in Rome too and so we just see how um, um, you know this, this promise that Jesus gave Peter and and the warning will you lay down your life for me Peter? Um, we see here now um, Paul ended up dying in, in Rome and you know this whole his um, desire was to go to Rome go to Rome and we did um, just how beautiful the play of the Holy Spirit is in, in, um, his ministry there, and in his encouragement between the Roman believers as well, and so, um, you know, we just see the contrast of, okay, Peter, you're not going to be able to lay your life down for me, um, obviously, uh, you know, Christ will lay his life down for you, and then when the Holy Spirit comes, you know, we see how, um, successful the spirit's work is and the mystery is in, in building up the churches um, transactionally in that sense, where they're mutually encouraged by each other's faith they uh, send the spirit's work in, in those areas, and so um you know, even though uh, God was over all his circumstances and over um, you know his lead to, to Rome, we just see how um Exchanging of aspartagus and um, how um, ultimately Paul ended up dying in his Roman prison, and how he ended up um, essentially um, you know, uh, finishing his ministry there. But um, how he encouraged the churches and they encouraged him. And so, um, if we go how my Peter and the remaining disciples have felt upon hearing Jesus' words in verse uh, 38. Uh, Will you lay down your life for me? I assure you, a rooster, will not crow until you deny me three times. Well, uh, similar to the writing on the wall in Daniel's day, Um, You know this King Nebuchadnezzar um, was very very well very uh, well off and very arrogant of his uh, prominence and his power uh, 612 tells us that then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God so they approached the king and asked him about this edict um is that right Daniel 612 12, did I do that right? did I have the reverse? I have right on the wall here. So I'm not sure if I got the right one. Um, oh, I'm sorry, here it is. Let go back to. Okay. um, then Daniel asked the king, you may keep your gifts and give your rewards to someone else, however, I'll read the inscription for the king, oh, let me back up, <laughs> sorry, so then Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, are you Daniel, one of the Judean exiles that my predecessor, the king, brought from Judah? I've heard that you have the spirit of the gods in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and extraordinary wisdom. Now the wise men and the mediums were brought before me to read the inscription and make his interpretation known to me, but they cannot give its interpretation. However, I heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Therefore, if you can read the inscription and give me its interpretation, you will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain around your neck and have the third highest position in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, "You may keep your gifts and give your rewards to someone else." however i will read the inscription for the king and make the interpretation known to him your majesty the most high god gave sovereignty greatness glory and majesty to your predecessor nebuchadnezzar because of the greatness he gave him all peoples nations and languages humbled and he was um, you know a uh, made like an animal uh, before God and um, till then the god rules and sets up who he wants up the kingdoms, but yet this uh successor um, Belshazzar he knew all this shit. he didn't give glory to God instead he you know drank all these golden goblets with his um, his nobles, his officials, his wives, his concubines, he praised gods made of gold, silver, stone, iron wood. Guys that can't talk, guys that can't move, can't think, don't have any understanding. And uh, yet yeah, he did all this. And look at this. <gasps> look at, look at this. <gasps> Perfect. And you know, those that gave um, praise to these guys of the silver, and gold, and brown and wood and stone that don't hear or understand. He didn't go for God, who holds his very life breath. And God told me, hey, You know what? Your days are numbered, your kingdom is numbered. And you know what? Um, you've been weighed, and your balance comes up uh, a short deficit. And you know what? Your kingdom is going to be divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Um, it's like a dose of your own medicine, there, right? And so um, that's kind of like a good contrast between um, how Peter might have felt. When Jesus told him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times and disown me before the rooster crows. Are you going to let your life down for me? And that's probably um, the same thing he probably felt at that point, too. So, uh, what is your response when you realize that Jesus fully knows you and your future? Well, um, you know, we know three... Uh, John tells us that the elder. Um, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in truth, in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So, you know, we go back to this this Jesus talk about my children. My children, not too much longer, won't be with you. And, and, you know, how he continues to um, say to love each other as I love you. And ultimately, you know, um, what is the greatest uh, joy that they are walking in the truth? That they not just hear, but are obedient. That, you know, um, their proper response is what? I have no greater joy than to hear that, that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters. Even though they are strangers to you, they have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We had to therefore show hospitality to such people that they may work together for the truth. And so he tells this elder in Third John, um, it's different guys that whom he loves in truth, that, you know, people testify right of his his works and testify right of his uh obedience and his faithfulness and, and walking in the truth. And so ultimately, um, you know, the difference between false witnessing and true witnessing and and um I have no greater joy than to hear an um, obedient walk in the truth um, in Christ and so um, if we go to this response once again you know First Corinthians tells us that you know um, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and that he is you know owner of, of everything and um you know, eat everything that is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake, for the earth of the Lord's and all that is in it. If one of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go eat everything that is set before you without raising questions of conscience, but if someone says to you, this food is offered to an idol, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for, the conscience, and for conscience' sake. I do not mean your own conscience, but that the other person's, For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanks, why am I slandered because of something I give thanks for? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit with a profit of money so that they may be saved imitate me as I imitate Christ so he's like you know if someone's offended you, you know especially when the first church was starting and we had Jews and Gentiles coming together and Jews didn't eat say bacon and if Gentiles ate bacon you know um, he's saying you yield you're right Yeah, for freedom to eat bacon bacon seemed, uh clean now Never eat bacon. but it's like if it offends the Jew, don't eat bacon before him. Right? Uh, and, and but you're like, well, why can't I eat bacon to the glory of God? I'm grateful for it. And I'm thankful for it. Should, should my clear conscience and eating bacon be judged by this guy who's weak and doesn't understand that you deemed it clean? He's still looking at me like I'm eating something unholy and unclean here, but you deemed it clean. Should I trample on my own freedom to eat this bacon before this Jew who doesn't want to take your, your word? And God's like, well, or uh, Paul's like, uh, you know, don't give offense to the Jew. Don't give offense to the Greek. Don't give offense to the house of God, the church of God. So essentially, you know, you bridle your own freedom. Do uh, not give offense to someone who might be judging you by their slander because some something I give thanks for. Um, why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? And he said, you know, um, don't um, bridle your own, your own freedoms. Uh, to kind of, to not give offense to someone who might be weak in, in conscience and not know uh, not know better and might might not know that this is just bacon <laughs> you know it's not clean unclean you know God deemed it all clean now and that was set for a certain time period to show that you had uh, special obediences to God and, and you know there's no difference between you yeah, know food and so. Um, he's like, you know, bridle your, your freedoms for the sake of someone that, um, might still be offended by that. And so, um, essentially, uh, we see, um, uh, ultimately, um, children walking in truth, of no greater joy. What is your response when you realize, uh, Jesus fully knows you and your future, well, we not only walk in truth but then we know that the earth of the Lord and fullest thereof and we get thanks to it all these made but we bridle some of our freedoms, um, out of consideration of um, you know, others that might not um, uh, fully have a clear conscience over these errors. And so, um, not just seek your, your good, but we seek the good of the other person, not not just my prophet, but the profit of, of the others. And so, um, and essentially, you know, to, to lead them to salvation, to lead them to, um, believing. So, um, yes, we want to, uh, get beyond our, ourselves and seek the good of the person in love, like, like Jesus had. Um, ultimately, um, I say ultimately a lot. Fourth day, we're now in John 14. What words of comfort did Jesus speak to his troubled disciples? And this is where he's like, you yeah. know, let's talk about his departure. It, 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 uh, you know, Moses had a, de- a departure speech, and these are kind of like um, kinda, uh, steps of their discourse um, as they're about to leave. They give him, like, you know, remind him of the promise of the God, remind him of what to do with our God. Uh, Jesus gives them this hope that you'll be with me soon. Um, he kind of talks about. Um, some stuff that he, he has done here, and so here he tells them, you know, your heart must not be troubled. Don't 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 be troubled. Um, believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you, I am going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and receive you to myself. So that where I am, you will also you may also be, you will, you may be also, you know the way to where I'm going. And this is kind of like, um, the old school weddings of the time, right? The groom would go off and prepare a place and get the place ready and then come back and get the bride and bring her there. So it's kind of a mission of this, this wedding, this, this uh, joint covenant, this, uh, wedding and it's like, you will be with me in this language is to pull of the weddings of the time. And so then he, he says, um, uh, you know the way to where I'm going. Lord Thomas said, "We don't know where you are going. How can we know the way?" And Jesus told him, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." This is actually the verse I got that um, helped me to accept Christ um, when I was 16, in praying for God to show me <laughs> what is the way because I didn't know is my dad's way, is my mom's way, um, what's the way? I don't. I don't want to be wrong got you in this verse, and uh, it was right there, <laughs> yeah. in plain uh, English, that said, I am the way the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except for me, so I was just like, I have to trust your word. <laughs> I was just saying how that was the verse that, uh, led to my conversion and my accepting of Christ when, um, I was praying, like, God, I don't know which, which way is the right way, and please lead me to, um, the right way, and show me the right way, and God opened, uh, this, uh, verse up to me and showed me, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except for me, and at that point, you know, I had to, um, make a decision <laughs> and I had to uh accept this this word as, as truth and as real and um get my life uh on it um based on, on uh you know praying <laughs> God showing me this answer and it was distinct and, you know, uh, trusting um his scripture to be true to that and he hasn't failed me. <laughs> he hasn't failed me yet. The best decision I ever made. So uh, that verse is very dear to me. Um, and then, you know, um, what worth the comfort did Jesus speak to the troubled disciples? We well, he told them not to be troubled. And, um, oh, that's where I wanted to go to Romans, um, three, where we're like, well, what, what benefit then is there to being a Jew? Is there any, you know, difference to, uh, Meaning Jew, then Gentile, if Gentiles too are, are saved, and essentially well, don't be troubled. Well, is there a benefit to raising your kids Christian? You have to make a personal decision for Christ, but is there any, any benefit? Well, yes, uh, there is a great, great benefit. Don't, don't be troubled, right? And here uh, Paul answers this objection in Romans 3. He said, but What advantage does the Jew have? What is the benefit of circumcision? Considerable in every way. First, they were entrusted with the spoken words of God. They're the only people on earth that have the spoken words of God, the promises of God, right? And uh, what then if they did not believe? Will their unbelief cancel God's faithfulness? Absolutely not. God must be true. Even if everyone is a liar, as it is written, you may be justified in your words and triumph when you judge. But if our unrighteousness highlights God's righteousness, what, what are we to say? I use a human argument. So, um, ultimately, um, so, you know, Paul uh, has this human argument with himself. And he answers this kind uh, objection. And he's like, well, is there any advantage to, to being a Jew? and yes you know there was a great advantage because they had these privileges and they had you know these these commandments of god and these uh, promises of god and the prophets and all this closest with god as he revealed himself and no other people on earth had that but the jewish people and so today too is there any benefit in raising your kids in a christian home raise them to, to read the bible to go to church to to know god's word to know god's character to know um what he likes what he hates what 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 he loves, what God's about, yes, beneficial in every way. And so um, he says, you know, well, what if some of these Jewish people didn't believe? Um, will that nullify God's faithfulness? And um, God will be faithful to, to His covenant no matter, no matter what. And um, ultimately, he says that you know, um, God is justified in His judgment. And God will be true even if, you know, um, the people were not. And so, um, you know, um, um, God is shown righteous and and true um, through error and through sin. And um, God is honored even in people's failures, even in even the wrath of man will praise you, right even um, people's uh, unfaithfulness will will show his faithfulness will show his righteousness right and even um, his uh, man's shortcomings will will highlight God's honor and so um, Paul uh, goes on to answer that you know um, God's judgment of sin is always righteous and you know people might think that they don't deserve uh, condemnation or they don't deserve uh punishment or you know how he chooses to to judge but ultimately um it's about God's glorification and God's um God's glory, and so um you know he will be a righteous judge over all of it and is God unrighteous to inflict wrath? Absolutely not. Otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if my lie, if my lie, God's truth is amplified. To the Paul goes on and say, "Well, well, if I lie, then does that increase God's glory? Why not just keep lying to show God's uh, God's righteousness all the more, to show His glory all the more? But if my lie, God's truth is amplified to His glory. Why am I also still judged as a sinner?" And why not say just as some people slanderous, slanderous, slanderously claim, we say, "Let us do what is evil, so that good may come." Their condemnation is deserved. So yes, we don't keep on um, sinning to highlight God's, um, you know, righteousness. Um, you will be uh, judged on, on, on your. Um, your sin and so um, God is uh, justified in his judgment and it is true and um, if you take a, a step further so we're talking about Jesus uh, making preparing a place uh, where I'll be you will also be so great advantages of uh, being comforted um, as Jesus was comforting me. His disciples there too, there is benefit in our way, um, having this uh, foreground. And even in uh, Proverbs 13, you know, Jesus being ultimately uh, righteous and only righteous one, can talk uh, probably better anyone on this topic. But he tells us that, you know, uh, 13, 6, Righteousness guards people of integrity. Guards integrity away, literally, is a translation. But wickedness undermines the sinner. One man pretends to be rich, but has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, but has great wealth. Riches are a ransom for a man's life but poor man, here's no threat. The light of the righteous shines brightly, but the lamp of the wicked is put out. Arrogance leads to nothing but strife. Wisdom is gained by those who take advice. Um, The slacker craves it has nothing, but the diligent is fully satisfied. The righteous hate lying. But the wicked act disgustingly and disgracefully. So we just see this contrast of um, the righteous and the wicked. And ultimately, um, this is all, all they have. This is, you know, um, all they get. Yeah, Jesus has a better place prepared for those who are righteous. And righteous guards are people of integrity. But wickedness undermines any sinner. Any and one man pretends to be rich and has nothing, another one doesn't, doesn't hear the threat. Um, he has great wealth. The lamp of the wicked will be put out, snuffed out. The light of the righteous shines brightly. And I don't want to get too far off the course here, but you know that passage in Romans was David's, uh, quote from, um, his moral, uh, failure. So, um, that with David's uh, sin and, and, and immoralities, and um, how the wicked, um, yeah, that unrepentant don't have much hope in their life. will be stuffed out, yeah, you know, they rely on um, things that they. Yeah, that was a good, uh, David's confession when he had his affair with Bathsheba. And you know, he's like, before you and you alone have I sinned, Lord. And you know, um composed of sin there and ultimately realize that, you know, it was ultimately before God who he was sinning against, not necessarily man. So, um, how might Jesus' promises, promise of his return have confronted, comforted the 11? And what we'll promise regarding Jesus' second coming give you hope and why? Well, uh, you know, Matthew is having... Uh, I don't know, is this guy's like threatening to kill my kids or what his problem is now? But he's always, you know, he's pissed off. So, um, you know, in Matthew uh, we have the account of Jesus' birth and Jesus' Christmas story, right? And before we get to maybe, you know, the angels and and, um, the wise men trying to see Jesus, we have this account of Herod ordering that all the firstborn males be killed. Because what would kings do back then? Well, they, they wanted to be king forever. And they killed their own relatives, killed their own sons, killed anyone that would take the throne from them. And so he heard of this uh, baby born. And so he ordered up all these for uh, firstborn uh, sons to be killed. And where are we, Matthew 2? Um... Uh, two, 18. So, then Herod when he saw that he had been outwitted by the wise men flew into a rage he gave orders to massacre all the males two years old and under so something sounds like Herod was in a big mad rage um, he must have been outwitted by the wise men and, um, he ordered that all the males, uh, two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men, say uh, would be massacred, order them to be massacred. Um, that way, you know, he asked the wise men, what time was this star? What time was this promise in scripture? And they told him. It was at this time frame, so I was like, okay, I'll do two years and under, that should cover the time period that this baby was to be born, and make sure he usurped the throne for me and so he ordered that um, you know, all the firstborn males, or all the um, people orders, to massacre, all the male children in and around, I'm getting mixed up with Exodus. all the male children uh, around Bethlehem who are two years old and under, uh, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in a great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they were no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel because those who sought the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and entered the land of Israel. So he was threatening to kill the kids and threatening to kill um, these boys um, over this uh, the wise men's uh, interpretations of uh, when the Messiah was to come. And so, or, you know, this uh, prophecy of uh, Jeremiah was fulfilled where, you know, this voice with her and Raymond, and it was a weeping in a great morning, uh, weeping for her children and refusing to be consoled over it. And, I mean, what is worse in life than losing a child, right? It goes against the natural grain of, um, order of, you know, parents supposed to die first, not not the child, and, you know, um, the good gifts that God gives, gives us, like, you know, what is more doing in life. And so ultimately, you know, we see this weeping and this is um um and this great lament and this great uh great uh grief over these sons that were um ordered to be massacred and um you know fulfilling this prophecy. And so um once Herod died, they were told to get, yep, take the child and his mother into the land of Israel. But when they heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the reign of Galilee. Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what has been spoken through the prophets, and he will be called the Nazarene. So, uh, not only do we see, well, that would be a great reason why you're mournful, wouldn't it? That would be a great reason to grieve, wouldn't it? I mean, who wouldn't grieve more for that? Who wouldn't lament uh, for that to, you know, to your children's children? <laughs> I mean, these are all great, great, great reasons that someone refused to be comforted. Plague, uh, pestilence, uh, stripped bark white, um, branches of the trees just, devastated, fallen down, and then now uh, we have the uh, death of, of, of children too, like the grief, I don't know, who went more. And so, um, with that, you, you know, well, what do we learn? Well, we heard before how those who are familiar with, with the scriptures. Well, didn't Jesus calm the storm? Didn't even the wind and the waves obey the master? And so one day, he and his disciples got into a boat, and he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they were sailing, he fell asleep. A fierce windstorm came down on the lake, and they were being swamped, and they were in danger. They came and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we're going to die. Then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. So it ceased and it was calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, asking one another, Who can this be? He commands even the wind and the waves and they obey him? definitely master of the sea. <laughs> so yes, it obeyed him. He calmed the storm. So, uh, in what ways do we seek the world's false comfort that cannot fully satisfy in the real longings of our heart? Why must true comfort be based on truth? And, you know, um, God's eternal rain in Psalm 93 as the Lord reigns, He's robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, enveloped in strength. The world is firmly established, it cannot be shaken. Your throne has been established from the beginning, you are from eternity. The floods have lifted up, Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice, the floods lift up their pounding waves, greater than the roar of many waters. The mighty breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is majestic. Lord, your testimonies are completely reliable. Holiness is the beauty of your house for all the days to come. Amen. So, that is a good reminder of you know God being um, ultimately the one who is eternal and his throne is everlasting. And even the cosmos are subject to him. Well, if we go back to um, our last questions here. Thank you, John uh, 14. Um, what question did Thomas ask Jesus and why do you think he asked this? And um, what was Jesus' uh, response? Um, and essentially, well, where are you going? Why can't we follow you now? And Jesus like, well, you can't follow me now because, um, you know, I'm, I'm a gentle uh, meet Jesus now. then I will come back as, you know, a triumphant Jesus and uh, hold my power and my glory and um, coming back to conquer. And so, um, let's see. The Lord Jesus says, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? That's where he tells them, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm going to this place for you. And then, um, um, what did uh, Philip request and how did Jesus answer? And Philip asked, If you know me, you'll know my Father. From now on, you do know me and have seen him. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Just like I haven't. I've been among you all this time without you knowing me, Philip. You see me, you see the Father, so it feels like, show us your glory, you know, show us, show us the Father, and just kind of like, not, under- well, not recording. we were just talking about um, Philip asking or Thomas no Philip asking these questions um, uh, he said you know show was, was the father and she was like don't, don't you know me Philip I've been among you all this time and so um, God can kind of contrasted that with you know who who's going to build me a house that I should dwell in who could build me a temple that I should dwell in right. Can God be? You show me, you show me your glory, Lord. Right. Show, where, who, who can you know, even fathom my glory? You know, look at my glory. And then in First Kings, um, uh, um, uh, with Elisha, eighteen. Elijah Elijah's message to Ahab and we are on um 9 through 15 uh-huh. so remember this uh, master that rebuked the wind and the waves and Jesus is like you know don't, don't be troubled uh I, I call the storm well my uh Obadiah was walking along the road. Elijah suddenly met him. When Obadiah recognized him, he fell with his face to the ground. He said, is it you, my lord Elijah? It is I, he replied. Go tell your lord Elijah is here. But Obadiah said, what sin have I committed that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to put me to death? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation our kingdom where my Lord has not sent someone to search for you. And when they said he is not here, he made the kingdom our nation swear that they had not found you. Now you say go tell your Lord Elijah is here? But when I leave you, the Spirit of the Lord may carry you off to some place I don't know. Then when I go to report to Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord for my youth. Wasn't it reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel slaughtered the Lord's prophets? I hid a hundred of the prophets of the Lord, fifty men, in a cave. I provide for them. I provide them with food and water. Now you say go tell your Lord Elijah is here? He'll kill me. Then Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand today, I'll present myself to Ahab. Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. Then Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you, you destroyer of Israel? He replied, I have not destroyed Israel, but you and your father's house have because you have abandoned the Lord's commands. You followed the Baals? Now, summon all Israel to meet at Mount Carmel, along with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So, he was trying to say that this guy uh, had destroyed Israel. And he's like, I didn't destroy Israel. You were worshipping Baal, false uh, idol. And you and, and Jezebel, who was an w- evil, uh, wicked lady, were all uh, with your fake prophets eating at Jezebel's table. How, how did uh, he destroy Israel? It was your own abandoning of the Lord's commandments. And it was before your, your own people, not mean I did. And so um, there was a lot of uh, lies and heresy going around without any factual uh, proof. When, um, the facts were all over here with, uh, Elijah telling them that, you know, your father's house have, uh, abandoned the Lord's commands and fell to Baals. And, uh, you and four hundred of your prophets, and he hid a hundred of them in a cave, gave him food and water daily. And he's like, I, I stained you you uh, abandoned the Lord's commands and were eating at Jezebel's table and uh, worshipping Baal and uh, 450 of your prophets joined you in this so um, we just see the difference between um, the undeniable truth had Jesus provided to his disciples revealing that he is one with his father he is one with his father. Well, if we go to First Chronicles, um, five, my First Chronicles, oh. five through seven I have. Five through seven. I don't know if I wrote the right verse, but I think it was a verse about um, you know, who could build me a temple to live in and um So does Jesus refer to and how might the phrase, because I'm going to the Father, help us understand Jesus' statement in verse 12? And what questions do you have for Jesus and how do uh, Jesus' interactions with Thomas and Philip challenge or encourage you? Oh, no house. No house can contain him. Oh, that's one more. I was chatting down about his, um, nothing you can build can contain him, right? No temple can contain him. Um, and so, let's see. Interactions with Thomas and Philip. How they encourage you? Going to Mark 8. this earlier. There's this healing of this blind man. Uh, Then they came to Bethsaida. They brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and brought him out to the village, spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him. He asked him, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see People but they looked to me like trees walking. Again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes, and he saw distinctly. He was cured and could see everything clearly. Then he sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. Well, you know, essentially this guy, who was, uh, you know, this guy's friend and presumably blind, um, couldn't see, and came to this village and uh, begged Jesus to touch him. So he took this blind man by the hand, brought him into the village, he spat on his eyes, um, laid his hands on him, asked him if he'd seen anything, and, you know, he was maybe um, partially healed, I'd say, you know, like uh, we always hear of this uh, blind, blind man's scene. Well, the first time um, you know, of this blind man uh, being healed, we see that, you know, his vision was only partially restored. wasn't fully, you know, seen. They look like people like trees to him. And so, um, you know, he had to um do it again and essentially on this uh second time of uh put his hand on him and, you know, say so he's been his eyes again Jesus his hands on me eyes Jesus placed, he didn't spin on him again. He looked up, and saw people they looked like trees. Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes and he saw distinctly. So he did it again this time he saw oh, that's really tight. That okay. just shows you know sometimes our miracles are not instant sometimes our salvation isn't you know our salvation is the moment we give our life to christ but sometimes you know our full comprehension our full understanding of christ and our full understanding of the perpetuation and our full understanding of what he's done sometimes isn't you know immediate and so just like this blind man you know uh, the first time this try to make him see it, it was blurry, people looked like trees to him. He wasn't, you know, immediately cured, immediately healed. And when we say the outward uh, healings, we refer to the inward heart change, right? So a lot of times in the New Testament, we see this guy's healed of this, this guy's healed of that, blind and seen, this guy's healed of his, uh, you know, leprosy, this guy's healed of his uh, he paralysis, right? And these outward signs pointed to the inward spiritual change. That's how God showed it, it was either get up and walk. Or say your sins are forgiven so oftentimes to show your sins are forgiven to show your salvation he you would have these outward healings of um these uh illnesses and ailments. so the outward uh signs kind of uh, manifested what happened spiritually inside to them and so here we see this guy's blind but he was only partially healed at first and, and you know he couldn't see it fully clearly and then you know Jesus put his hands over his eyes again, and this time he could see distinctly. And so, you know, that's just a good reminder that, you know, sometimes, um, um just like God's whole plan of salvation took a long time to unfold. And, you know, uh, we didn't know God's whole plan from the beginning of um, um the history of, oh, geez, if we go back to Abraham even, and we didn't understand how God's plan would fully unfold, and Gentile would be brought in, and you know, all the plans of the resurrection. Um, we see too, like sometimes, um, you know, your vision might be only partially restored and not fully, uh, fully uh, open until he kind of grows you by faith. You take a step in what was revealed to you by faith, and you trust that, and take another step by faith. What he has revealed to you, and you trust that, and you know you act on. Um, what you know and what is revealed, and he will finally grow you to maybe full uh, sight. And so, um, you know, this um, you know, this miracle didn't happen um, immediately. And so, it's just good, good examples of sometimes it takes time. And so, that was uh, comforting to to me. And then also, um, if we go to John twenty one. It kind of helps explain it further what happened. This is, you now he died, resurrected, uh, died, was crucified, uh, resurrected, and then comes back and um, stays among them for, you know, 40 days and, and opens their eyes and their minds to, to the scripture. And it's like, hey guys, remember this passage? Oh, well, I fulfilled that. Remember this passage in, 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 in your your Jewish um, law? You know, well, I'm I'm the fulfillment of that. Explaining scripture to them and, and showed them like how he fulfilled all these things and taught them. Essentially. And so, um, in John twenty one it tells them that this you know, this miraculous catch of fish, Jesus came back and uh Saint Peter heard that it was a let me go back. Uh, after Jesus had revealed himself again to the disciples the of the Sea he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zabidi's sons, and the two other of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. Where can I with you? They told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. However, the disciples did not know it was Jesus. They didn't recognize him. Couldn't really. Look like a tree. <laughs> they couldn't. They didn't know who he was. They didn't recognize him. Um, uh, David and stood on the shore. However, the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Men, Jesus called them. You don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did and they were unable to haul it because of the large number of fish. Therefore, the disciples, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer garment around himself, oh, put it on, because he was stripped for work, and plunged himself into the sea. But since they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. And when they got out on the land, they saw the charcoal fire there with the fish laying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter got up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Amen. So that was just a, a great reminder of this miraculous catch. Uh the boat on the right side. And look at all the fish you'll haul in. so um just a good reminder of um maybe not being able to recognize Jesus at first, maybe not being a uh, full sight, maybe not um fully uh, understanding his um his ways and so um, Build on what, what you know, build on what you have, and he will reveal it all to you. So, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, more than a hearer, more than understanding, and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock, on the concrete, on the pavement. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and its collapse was great. When Jesus had finished this sermon, the crowds were astonished at his teachings. because he was teaching them like one who had authority, not like their scribes. All right, okay, we'll stop there. Well, I hope you enjoyed that uh, lesson today. Um, it's always uh, more than um, insightful and instructive we got to actually be obedient to the word and put it into practice. And, um, you know, even if you understand me a little or glean a little, you know, uh, by faith, take a step in what you know. And he will, you know, open your eyes fully and grow you to uh, full obedience and uh, full faith. And some always, you know, do the next right thing and act on the faith that you do not. Don't be hearers of the word, but doers. So, uh, it was just a good reminder of, you know, um, uh, Jesus and the Father, uh, being one and how, um, ultimately he is master over all the, um, all the, you know, uh, even nature and, uh, he commanded even the wind and the waves and they obeyed him. orderly, um, even nature is to his commands, and how, um, obedient. Well, guys, uh, thank you for joining me, and, um, I hope to do this again soon. Thanks. Good night.